This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Purpose in Life's Journey. In the first half, Julianne H. Gross and Sharon G. Samuelson share their addresses, Finding Your Purpose and A Place Within His Heart. Then in the second half, Janie Penfield speaks on Live Your Life with Purpose. Although I'm frightened, I'm very grateful to be here to be asked to speak, and I'm grateful to see so many of my family and friends here in support. It means a lot to me. My great academic interest in life has been biology. I'm not certain if that stems from the fact that I grew up with ten children and a house teeming full of life, or the fact that I was raised outdoors and went camping all the time. There are many big questions encompassed by the study of biology. For example, what exactly is life? How do living things function? How was the great diversity of life created, and how is it evolving? With the challenge of the great diversity of life, how do we classify life? I love each of these questions, but my favorite question is a combination of them. What is the unique role of each diverse form of life? I believe that there is a unique role, that every species has an important role to play on our planet. The diversity of life is astounding. One measure of the diversity on our planet, the species number, is estimated at about 11 million species of cellular life. That is life that is composed of cells. We have begun to catalog and understand only a small fraction of these species, And there is life beyond cellular life. In fact, the most abundant biological entities on the earth are viruses. They're estimated to be greater than 10 to the power of 31. Costa Georgopoulos, a virologist at the University of Utah, compared the mass of all viruses on the planet with the mass of all humans. Although viruses are microscopic, if we pile them up on a giant scale— Viruses would weigh more than all of the 8 billion humans on the planet, even if we were all sumo wrestlers. (laughs) The abundance and diversity of life means that biologists will always have something to do, but it also means that in order to succeed on the planet, a species must have a purpose and a place, much like trying to find a place at the family dinner table amid nine hungry siblings. There are many examples of the unique and essential function a single species plays and its ecological impact. For example, several studies show that removing the sea otter from a habitat may lead to an increase in sea urchins and a corresponding decrease in kelp beds. This alters wave action and siltation, having dramatic impacts on the species present in the habitat. In these cases, the sea otter had a much higher impact on the ecology than what was expected from their sheer numbers. I study bacteriophages, which are viruses that can infect and kill bacteria. The word bacteriophage literally means eat bacteria. Most people think of a virus as something bad, something that makes them sick. But viruses also contribute to the health of our planet by regulating the levels of bacteria in an ecological system. In addition, viruses have useful purposes. 
They've recently saved the lives of individuals infected with antibiotic-resistant bacteria. In these cases, the viruses could infect and kill bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics, giving an alternative treatment when there are no other treatment options. In fact, some of the viruses isolated by students here at BYU are being used to treat a sea turtle, Shelly, who has an antibiotic-resistant bacterial infection. Viruses can be very specific for the type of bacteria that they kill, seeking out the bacterial pathogen and leaving the rest of our body full of other bacteria that are actually helping us, and Shelly. And there are a lot of good bacteria. In fact, research shows that we have as many bacterial cells in us and on us as human cells. This is referred to as our microbiome. Our microbiome is essential to our health. Thus, both viruses and bacteria, which most people have thought of as bad for so many years, have an important place in our health as well as in the ecological health of our planet. This interrelated nature of life is complex and highly variable, as is the individual and essential roles that each form of life plays. I have taught biology at BYU for 11 years now, interacting with hundreds of students each year. What has impacted me the most is this same truth, that each student has an individual and unique role to play, that each student has unique talents and gifts that are not quite the same in any other person. A well-known but beautiful example of this is the life of Anne Frank. On a recent trip to Amsterdam, I was able to visit the secret annex where Anne's family hid for over two years. Although I had read her diary in school when I was young, there were many aspects of her story I had never heard before. These aspects display how one person, Anne, came to recognize the role she could play through the use of her talents. Anne's family lived in Germany and fled to the Netherlands in 1933 due to the threatening political climate. As the Nazi army moved towards Amsterdam, Anne's father, Otto Frank, built a small annex in the back of his shop where the family would live for over two years, along with the Van Pels family as well as Fritz Pfeiffer. The eight of them had to rely on the bravery and generosity of six other individuals who risked their lives to help them hide and to bring them food rations. These individuals included their friends Johan and Beep Veskajul, Meep and Jan Gies, Victor Kugler, and Johannes Kleeman. On Anne's 13th birthday, she was given a notebook that she immediately began using as a diary. During the two years of hiding in the cramped space, Anne's outlet was writing. She wrote many things, including her thoughts and feelings, poems, and tales. While in hiding, the Frank family also listened quietly to the radio for news and plotted the path of the Allied forces as they moved towards Amsterdam. In 1944, while listening to the radio, Anne heard the following advice given by the Dutch cabinet minister Garrett Bolkstein. And I quote, History cannot be written on the basis of official decisions and documents alone. If our descendants are to understand fully what we as a nation have had to endure and overcome during these years, then what we really need are ordinary documents, a diary, letters from a worker in Germany, a collection of sermons given by a parson or priest, 
Not until we succeed in bringing together vast quantities of this simple, everyday material will the picture of our struggle for freedom be painted in its full depth and glory. Anne immediately had a purpose. She was inspired to rewrite her diary into a book that she hoped to share with the world. Over the next four months, she worked tirelessly to abridge the last two years of her writings. She rewrote her diary for clarity and replaced real names with pseudonyms for publication. Anne expressed to her family her purpose, that after the war her book on the experience of living in the annex would be published giving the world a piece of the story of World War II. Somehow, through pathways still unknown today, the police became aware of their hiding place in August of 1944. All eight of the individuals in the secret annex were sent to concentration camps. All of the items from the annex were also confiscated. When her father's secretary, Meep Gies, visited the annex shortly after, she was able to retrieve Anne's diaries. Of the eight in the secret annex, only Anne's father, Otto, survived the concentration camps. After the war, he returned to Amsterdam to look for his family, and he met Miep Gies, who gave him Anne's diary. Anne's father worked hard to get it published. He was rejected several times, and it took him two years to get it published, but he never gave up. Today, millions of people have read the diary. It has inspired countless, including survivors, of similar unimaginable difficulties. I am inspired by Anne's story and her writings and her belief that one person can make a difference. But I also know that it is not just her story. It is the story of her family, including her father, who worked to keep the family safe for so many years, and then, after so much sorrow, was blessed to fulfill his daughter's wishes and to publish Anne's diary. It is the story of the six other individuals who risked their lives to hide them in the annex, including Victor Kugler and Johannes Kleeman, who were also taken captive by the police. It is the story of one person's great talents, Anne's, interacting with many other great talents. The big question of life is how do we find our own individual talents and purpose in life? During my time at BYU, I have spoken with many students who feel unsure of their future and the path that they should take. Too often we compare ourselves to the one person who seems sure of their path rather than the twenty like us who are searching for their path. What I do know is that in all cases, our ability to utilize our time, energy, and talents is completely dependent upon our Father in Heaven and on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only are we dependent on them to become our best selves, but this is their greatest desire for us. They have literally done everything that can be done in order to help us succeed in this life and the next. Our Savior has given His life in the single most powerful act of love to ever occur—the Atonement. Through the Atonement, each of us can find the best use of our talents and develop those talents beyond what we would ever be capable of alone. I believe there is no greater gift than helping someone develop to the fullest of their potential, to become the person they want to be, to use their talents to the fullest extent. 
I bear my testimony to you that our Father in Heaven cares for each of the students at BYU very individually and will help you find your place in life. Some of the greatest spiritual experiences of my life have come from praying for students who have discussed a problem with me. I would like to share an example with you. On three separate occasions, I was searching for funds to enable a student to be trained in scientific research. Each one of these students had approached me with a very unique position, as well as a great desire to be trained and to use their talents. I did not have the funding to accept another student in each of these cases. Knowing that the student needed the funds immediately, when usually it takes me six to twelve months to get grant funding, I turned to prayer. On each of these occasions, a funding opportunity came to me out of the blue within a few days of praying for these students, with little effort on my part. Let me tell you that this does not happen, nor is it likely to happen to me again, unless the Lord is moving mountains on a student's behalf. Scientific research funding is exceptionally difficult to come by. Normally, I spend several months and many long hours searching out appropriate grants, writing the proposals, and getting the necessary preliminary data for funding. I know it was the Lord's hand in each of these three instances. When the student and I had done all we could, doors were open to allow the students to develop their talents. These remarkable experiences and several others had given me a strong testimony of our Savior's great love and personal interest in each of you. Having said this, I don't want to mislead you that life will be easy or that all of our prayers will be immediately answered in such an obvious way. But what I do know is that when we rely on our Savior and ask for His help, He will help us and we can have our peace be as a river and our righteousness as the waves of the sea, as Isaiah has written. Recently, I have noticed the choice of words used in this scripture. It does not say our peace will be as a still pond. I believe this is on purpose. I believe that if we are trying to develop and use our talents, we will have help from the Savior, but we will encounter difficulties. In addition, we are not perfect. We make mistakes. This is perhaps the flowing of the river of which he speaks. If we are continually moving forward over all of the rocks, through the twists and the turns, relying on him, he will be there for us, to help us and guide us. I bear my testimony of this. The Holy Ghost has warned me away from poor decisions. He has warned me from pathways that lead to sin and unhappiness. Heavenly Father is most generous, forgiving, and merciful. He will help us to overcome our weakness. They are never too great, and it is never too late. But we need to seek Him. A few years ago, I was at the grocery store, and I felt a little pressure on the side of my pant leg. It was a young child of two or three who had obviously gotten my pant leg mixed up with their own mother's and was walking with me right by my side. When I felt the pressure, I stopped and looked down, and the young child, of course, stopped and looked up. I could see the moment on their face when they recognized their mistake, and they immediately panicked. Just as this young child, we too can be deceived and lose our way. Our Heavenly Father and the Spirit of the Holy Ghost are the authors and finishers of our faith. 
Only by His Spirit will any of us receive confirmation on any truth of any matter, including our individual worth and the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. Our Father is no respecter of persons. He loves each and every one of us. He knows our potential and unique talents better than anyone. There is no substitute pant leg. Seeking out truth through the scientific method of observation, hypothesis, and experiment is what biologists seek to do. I leave everyone, including myself, with the admonition of Alma to experiment upon the word, to ask the Lord about our individual worth, our talents, and the pathways we should go to become our best selves, to plant a seed, nourish it, and to let it grow. But if ye will nourish the word, yea, nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow, by your faith, with great diligence, and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root, and behold, it shall be a tree springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience with the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet, above all that is sweet, and white, above all that is white, yea, and pure, above all that is pure. And ye shall feast upon this fruit, even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. Then, my brethren, ye shall reap the rewards of your faith and your diligence and patience and longsuffering, waiting for the tree to bring forth fruit unto you. Notice how many times Alma entreats us to have patience. If you find yourself struggling at times, if you find you're in the midst of your longsuffering, Take heart and have faith. Believe that you have a divine purpose. Believe that you have unique talents that are unmatched in the world. Work hard and pray. The Lord will help. He will direct you to your best self, to your own ecological niche. He will open doors for you. You will find what He wants you to do, and you will bless countless others in doing it. I'd like to bear my testimony of a kind and generous, loving, and merciful Father and His great love for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You're listening to Finding Center. We've just heard from Julianne H. Gross, and now we'll hear from Sharon G. Samuelson for her address, A Place Within His Heart. It was a little over a year ago when the devastating tsunami occurred in parts of Asia. We were all shocked and saddened by this news. Our hearts were deeply touched as we witnessed the devastation and loss of life, as well as the examples of compassion and goodness of people throughout the world seeking to help those suffering. On one of the days following the tragedy, I was watching a television program which was describing and discussing the tsunami and its aftermath. I can't recall the names or titles of the participants on the program. However, I vividly recall and have never forgotten a response to a question by the commentator given by a woman associated with and knowledgeable about the efforts being done to help the victims, as well as to account for those who had lost their lives. The interviewer put forth the question, Can you give me an estimate of how many lives have probably been lost as a result of this natural disaster? Her response was, 
In many parts of the area where much of the damage was done, people are not counted in life. Therefore, it is impossible to count them in death. My first thought after a short and shocked hesitation caused by the bluntness of her answer was, You are wrong. You are not knowledgeable about nor understand the Lord's magnificent plan of salvation. If only you really knew that our Heavenly Father counts each one of these men, women, and children as his son or daughter. We are instructed in the Doctrine and Covenants and reminded many, many times throughout the scriptures to remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God, even those many who may never have had the opportunity to hear, while in mortality, the message of our Savior Jesus Christ and the principles of the gospel it teaches. At that point, I was so thankful for my testimony of these principles and that I know that all who have lived are living and will yet live in this earthly realm are sons and daughters of a loving Father in heaven. There have been times in my life when I have been in the midst of hundreds or thousands of people. For example, the Lavelle Edwards Stadium at a football game where 65,000 people are screaming and cheering. Or a crowded metropolis at Christmas time when people are scurrying in and out of stores shopping for gifts. Or a busy airport when people are hurrying to catch planes headed in a multitude of directions. You have had these experiences too. Maybe you too have felt as I have at times and also pondered the thought, I am but one person among all these hundreds and thousands of people. Then the mind tries to comprehend the millions and billions who have gone before are here now and will people the earth in the future. Have you at times asked yourselves, as I have, am I really that important? Just how much is my worth as I lead my life? This soul-searching question is answered in John 3.16, where it is taught that God loved us so he gave his only begotten Son, so we could have eternal life. We know that we are spirit children of an exalted, glorified being who is our Father in heaven. The Lord counts us all in life as well as in death, as in the victims of the tsunami. And because we know who we are, we know why we are here to strive to return one day to dwell in his presence. And this is what he desires for us, too. The Lord loves each one of us. We are his own. In the scriptures, Moses is told by the Lord that he created our world and its inhabitants and that we are his. How blessed we are to have this knowledge. Listen to the words of a beautiful woman who gained this knowledge as she struggled with her own self-worth and understanding of who she was. As a convert, the hymn, God Loved Us, So He Sent His Son, was sung at the very first sacrament meeting I attended as a brand new member of the Church. For the first 18 years of my life, I struggled with my worth and who I was and my importance to anyone. I had been told I was the ugliest girl in my school and carried that label with me for many years. As I took the missionary discussions, I learned enough of the gospel plan to know it was true and right. At that sacrament meeting, when the third verse of that hymn was sung, in that moment I knew for the first time who I really was and of my importance. That moment changed everything for me. Nothing on the outside changed, but everything on the inside did. I was part of his plan, his offering, and I hold a place within his heart. The world in which we live today tells us that our sense of worth is based upon what is seen or accomplished. It seems to be measured by possessions and wealth, physical appearance and dress styles, social status and achievements. 
too many of us strive to gain acceptance and thus enhance the perception of our worth from some who are not part of our lives or are part of our lives and view us from afar. If we are not careful, we can let others determine and establish our standards and feelings of self-worth. We can become someone else's image of success rather than that of our own. A prayer of an old English weaver expressed this thought when he prayed, O oh God, help me to hold a high opinion of myself. In other words, he prayed that he would value himself for what he is rather than the opinions held by others. Shakespeare also said, This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. As university students, you are dealing with the worldly requirements for success each and every day. Therefore, if you do not constantly remind yourselves of what is of true value and worth, you can lose perspective and insight as you forge ahead into the future. Sister Patricia Holland, speaking in a Brigham Young University devotional, stated that, We are becoming so concerned about having perfect figures or straight A's or professional status that we are being torn from our true selves. We often worry so much about pleasing and performing for others that we lose our own uniqueness, that full and relaxed acceptance of ourselves as a person of worth and individuality. My dear friends, I worry that we so often forget that each one of us is inherently of great worth because we are children of God. This can easily occur if we listen to the voices of the world's values which surround us. Elder Neil A. Maxwell has put it best when he stated, some among us see the size and response of their audiences as the sole verification of their worth. Often these audiences would lead us to have a false sense of worth. This is evident in the messages of today, found in the media, and as well as in the examples of many around us who live and seek notoriety. The values of virtue, chastity, modesty, integrity, faith, love, and respect among many others, are not perceived as worthwhile by so many today. The world would judge us to be of greater worth by what we have than what is in our hearts. It would have us reject these God-given values in favor of others, which could lead us away from righteousness and positive feelings of self-worth. The Lord has warned us in the scriptures that we are seeking the things of the world rather than Him when we place the greatest value on riches and the praises of men. We are told that many are not chosen by the Lord because their hearts are set upon so much of the things of this world and they aspire to the honors of men. It is invaluable to each one of us that we always know and never forget that the measure of our worth is in the knowledge that we have a divine heritage. The gospel teaches us that our true worth is based upon its teachings and principles. We do not need the world to tell us whether we are successful and worthwhile or not. The Lord does desire us to be successful in our righteous endeavors, whether temporal or spiritual. There are many things of the world which are pleasing in His sight, such as gaining knowledge and wisdom as you study here. But one must never forget that the source of all these things is the Lord, and thus gratitude to Him should be expressed and shown by us. Showing gratitude to the Lord increases our worth in His sight. We strengthen our worth by being dignified in the lives we lead and following the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we rely upon our Savior for guidance and His deep love for us in all we do, our feelings of personal worth will be expressed in the lives we lead and can bless others by our example and service. Our eternal worth is given to us by God. 
We do not have to let it be determined by others, only by God and ourselves. We can lose sight of our self-worth if we do not keep the commandments and consequently disregard the divinity within us. The focus of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is each one of us and is expressed in Moses and reads, And this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. In conclusion, may I recite to you the third verse of God so loved us, so he sent his Son, which reminded my friend of her true worth as it should for all of us. O love, love effulgent, love divine, what debt of gratitude is mine, that in his offering I have part and hold a place within his heart. It is my prayer that each of us may know of our worth to those who truly love us and to our Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Purpose in Life's Journey. We've just heard from Sharon G. Samuelson. After the break, we'll return with Janie Penfield for Live Your Life with Purpose. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Purpose in Life's Journey. Next is Janie Penfield, BYU Associate Athletic Director at the time of this address, titled, Live Your Life with Purpose. I have prayed diligently over the past months that something I say today will benefit each of us, and I do that now as well. I'm an adventure seeker, especially in the outdoors. I love to hike, bike, swim, and ski. Through my many adventures, I have learned that each one must be planned with clear purposes or objectives to summit a peak, complete a course, or enjoy the views. I have found that planning with purpose is the best way to ensure that each adventure is successful. For example, I love to Nordic ski. As with all skiing, there is a trail map that allows you to chart a successful course through the woods and terrain. My favorite place to ski is at Sundance's Nordic Center. The trails lead you through evergreen and aspen trees, including views of Mount Timpanogos and frozen Stewart Falls. There are several trails to choose from. Some are out of the way and are less traveled than others. All are surrounded by ungroomed or wooded ground, with unknown obstacles beneath the meringue-like layer of snow. Leaving the trail could be troublesome or even perilous. Each ski trek begins with the question, where to? Followed with, which route? Each trail takes us to a different spot with different options for adventure and scenery. A steep climb, a flat meadow, or an incredible view. Before we begin to ski, we must determine the purpose of our trek so we know which trails to take. Then we must ski on course, or we will not reach our destination. We are all here on earth as a type of adventure. We left our Heavenly Father to obtain bodies, to be tested, to make covenants, to gain knowledge and experience, and to hopefully return to live with Him. But we do not always remember this purpose. Many who do not have the gospel have forgotten it because of the veil. We often get weighed down by the monotony of school, church, family, and work, and forget about our aspirations aspirations that our Heavenly Father wants us to have. We even get distracted, waylaid by good things. Elder Dallin H. Oaks taught us that 
As we consider various choices, we should remember that it is not enough that something is good. Other choices are better and still others are best. Even though a particular choice is more costly, its far greater value may make it the best choice of all. He goes on to say that we have to forego some good things in order to choose others that are better or best because they develop faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen our families. There are many good things that we can do, but we must stay true to our purpose and live the life of a disciple. We can get married, or better best, we can get married in the temple. We can pray for the missionaries, or better best, we can invite our friends and family to visit them in our homes. Individually, we may become discouraged because of the distance between us and the mortal life we have aspired to. We may not be married, have children, have the degree or success that we thought would give us the life we would planned. Fame, fortune, fashion, and fun will play a part in our eventual destination, but we have the power to control what role, if any, they play in keeping us on or taking us off the path of discipleship. The collection of choices will determine our final destination. President Thomas S. Monson said, Eternal life in the kingdom of our Father is our goal. Such a goal is not achieved in one glorious attempt, but rather is the result of a lifetime of righteousness, an accumulation of wise choices, even a constancy of purpose. So what can we do to ensure that we build a lifetime of righteousness and accumulate wise choices? We can live our lives with purpose, the purpose to gain eternal life and be counted as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Keeping our destination or the purpose of our lives in mind influences our decisions. We are choosing friends, majors, careers, social activities, priorities, and many more things. But the most important decision that we must map out is the course to our destination if we are ever to get there. Where are we skiing to? If we make a conscious decision that we are on the Lord's side, that we are seeking the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, then many of our decisions in daily life fall into place. Knowing that we will not go towards so many other destinations provides us with significant direction. We can make our judgments and decisions based on the decided purpose of our life. Does this friend bring me closer or further from the Spirit? Does this major or career allow me to be the disciple of Christ I aspire to be? Does this activity keep me close to the Lord? Committing to achieving the greatest possible outcome from mortality frees us from much of the push and pull of the world. In the last General Conference, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, The foundational principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ can affect our life's direction for good if only we will apply them. If we want to enjoy eternal life, we must apply the principles President Uchtdorf is referring to and become a disciple of Christ. This is, as he says, the pursuit of holiness and happiness, the path to our best and happiest self. We must plan our lives with the purpose of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says that we can do this by following the Savior, striving to be like Him, listening to and obeying the Spirit's promptings, and devoting ourselves to holiness and happiness. It also includes being baptized, making and keeping temple covenants, and building the kingdom of God. It can sometimes be difficult to remember our predetermined course. The scriptures and prophets counsel us to remember the things of the Spirit, our Savior and the Atonement, our covenants and the commandments. Remembering helps us keep proper perspective and focus on our purpose. We must choose to remember. We must remember what we want and why we want it. 
President Henry B. Eyring taught us that the key to remembering that brings and maintains testimony is receiving the Holy Ghost as a companion. If we live worthy of the Holy Ghost, we will remember our purpose. The Savior taught us in John, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Once we have set our purpose, we must determine our course to fulfill that purpose. We have to make a plan on how we will reach our destination. Last January, there were 12 of us geared up in Wyoming with our skis on, ready to go. Granite Hot Springs was over 10 miles in front of us. We knew we needed to stay on the road and keep going in spite of the seriously negative temperatures, the hills, and the lack of sunshine. We also planned to take time to enjoy the scenery around us. We had planned to do an out-and-back route of over 20 miles in a day, and we needed to start early, stay together, keep fueled, keep moving, and stay the course. We did, and we finished the out-and-back exhausted. Just as my friends and I skied on our adventure in Wyoming, we too must be fixed on our course and our purpose. We must continue to press forward despite adverse conditions. We must not be deterred by challenges, big and small, all the while taking in the beauty and wonders mortality affords us. The map to navigate life on earth has been provided to us through the restoration of the gospel. The standard works, modern-day prophets, and inspired leaders help us navigate through the challenges of mortality. Lehi's dream is a broad sketch of mortality. The Latter-day prophets fill in the challenges and specific guidance for our day, helping us keep hold of the iron rod. We must determine our course to ensure that our daily choices have a chance of leading us there. We will not arrive there by chance. In Doctrine and Covenants we read, For straight is the gate and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives. We need to be on the path when we reach the gate. With the goal of eternal life, we can know where we can look for direction to stay on the narrow way and to find the straight gate. The scriptures and the teachings of the prophets have provided us with the course for our life here on earth. The path of discipleship is the path that runs within reach of the iron rod. We move each hand and foot in front of the other, progressing as we make the decisions to prioritize the work of the Lord, the keeping of our covenants, and the constant efforts to emulate the Savior. What is on the narrow way? Temple marriage, missionary service, paying a full tithe, keeping the Sabbath day holy, fulfilling your callings, being charitable, and the list goes on. Staying on the straight and narrow path requires consistent, best choices. As a skier, in order to return to the trailhead, you have to take the right trails, turn at the right times, and have the skill to descend the mountain safely. As many inexperienced Nordic skiers have noted, the hills look easy to navigate until you strap on boots that only bind in the front and skis that are slightly wider than popsicle sticks. So we, too, must chart our course carefully. Where will we turn, go straight, or climb? The trail map and the master teachers will give us all of the information that we need. We learn from Elder L. Lionel Kendrick that the guidance we need is in the scriptures. He said, Those revelations received by prophets are given to us in the form of scripture or by the voice of the living prophets. Thus the scriptures become a road map, a set of divine directions to assist us on our journey through mortality and our return trip home. As Lehi and his family looked to the Liahona for direction through the wilderness to the Promised Land, we should let the scriptures and the teachings of the prophets serve as our map as we make our way through the wilderness of mortality. 
President Uchtdorf said, We all search for happiness and we all try to find our own happily ever after. The truth is, God knows how to get there and He has created a map for you. He knows the way. The map is available to all. It gives explicit directions of what to do and where to go to everyone who is striving to come unto Christ. All we have to do is trust in our Heavenly Father. Trust Him enough to follow His plan. Keep your covenants and keep His commandments. President Uchtdorf continues, Nevertheless, not all will follow the map. They may look at it. They may think it is reasonable, perhaps even true. But they do not follow the divine directions. Many believe that any road will take them to a happily ever after. As members of the Church, we know that not all roads or trails lead to the eternal life we seek. Happily ever after will only be ours if we choose to follow the Savior and be His disciple. We are constantly making decisions, and if your life is like mine, most of those decisions are made while in survival mode. This is decision-making in the moment, instead of planning out a course and moving forward when the time is right. This is not the best way to make decisions, for when I live in survival mode, I too often fail to accomplish the things I would prioritized in my mind. That phone call to a friend, lunch with my brother, an evening at the temple, a workout, and even what I'm going to do on vacation. It's also while I'm in survival mode that I see opportunities pass me by—a weakening friendship with a kindred spirit, waning family relationships, a decrease in a desire to do the things to stay close to the spirit, decreased fitness level, and even a missed opportunity for kayaking the Nepali coast in Hawaii, which I'm not sure how I let that happen. Perhaps you are like me. Perhaps you too let the chaos of your life, your studies, your calling, your job, or your fun crowd out the opportunities the Spirit has to speak to you. Perhaps your prayers have become hurried, or your scripture study is more reading than study. Perhaps you have reshuffled your priorities and have put staying close to the Spirit off to the side simply as a result of not prioritizing it. President Uchtdorf said, Discipleship is the pursuit of holiness and happiness. It is the path to our best and happiest self. So it follows that pursuing and prioritizing discipleship will lead us to the best life we can build for ourselves on earth. But we have to seek it by choosing to be a disciple of Christ. We have to choose it by being forgiving, charitable, grateful, and anxiously engaged in serving others. We have to make discipleship our course. How do we know what we can do to be a disciple? How do we know what we can do to fulfill our purpose on earth and build the kingdom of God? We have to ask Him through prayer. The scriptures have taught us that the Lord will give us answers to our prayers. Behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. We will be quietly drawn to opportunities that will allow us to serve on His behalf. We will find ourselves using our talents to build the kingdom of God if we follow the guidance in our heart. In October General Conference, Elder Craig C. Christensen taught us that through the gift of the Holy Ghost we receive added capacity and spiritual gifts, increased revelation and protection, steady guidance and direction, and the promised blessings and sanctification and exaltation in the celestial kingdom. All of these blessings are given as a result of our personal desire to receive them and come as we align our lives with the will of God and seek His constant direction. Wow. 
When Alma gives his counsel to his son, Helaman, he too tells him to stay aligned with our Heavenly Father and seek his guidance. He says, Oh, remember my son and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. What great counsel from both Elder Christensen and Alma. Alma continues to call on Helaman to counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. We know how to get the direction of the Spirit. We now have to do it. How can we allocate our time, talents, and resources to align with our purpose and stay on course? We can sometimes do it through goals. I have a lot of goals that aren't New Year's type of goals. I have the goal of being married in the temple and having and raising children in the gospel and witnessing them serve missions and raise a righteous posterity. I have the goal of serving a mission myself. I have the goal of being worthy of eternal life with my Father in heaven, with my family. I have the goal of making my earthly and my heavenly parents proud because I have heeded their counsel and made the gospel of Jesus Christ an integral part of my life. I have the goal of being happy here on earth and in the eternities. Your goals may be similar to mine. These are our individual course markings. They are the significant choices in our lives that allow us to recognize that we are in alignment with our Father in heaven. He has given us the personal guidance and direction we need to accomplish our goals. The companionship of the Holy Ghost provides us with unlimited personal revelation, direction, comfort, strength, and guidance from God. Humility and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are essential to being worthy of personal revelation and answers to our prayers. All answers do not come when we ask for them. They often come as Alma describes our faith is growing over time, as we ponder, study, and seek direction from the Lord. President Boyd K. Packer tells us that we must learn to seek the power and direction that is available to us and then follow that course no matter what. We then learn in the Doctrine and Covenants, for they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. So we must choose to be wise and take the Holy Spirit for our guide. We can benefit from the direction of the Holy Ghost in everything we do. He will guide me, helping me avoiding cliffs while skiing, potholes while biking, and terrible snafus at work if I seek His direction and am aligned with Him and His will. Prayer is our communication piece with our Heavenly Father, and the Holy Ghost is His communication piece with us. We must keep the line open by seeking out the Father in prayer and by living worthy of the Holy Ghost's companionship. President Packer also taught us that we can always have a direct line of communication with our Father in Heaven. Do not allow the adversary to convince you that no one is listening on the other end. Your prayers are always heard. You are never alone. Over the last several years, I have participated in several road bike or cycling races with friends. To get in the full mileage, 60, 80, or 100 miles, the courses are marked on the streets by colored arrows and spray paint. There are signs at intersections, and there are usually other riders to follow. However, on more than three different occasions, we have ended up off course. On one ride, my friends and I mistakenly followed other riders off course. They were riding a different route than we were. On another ride, we found the rest stop from the less-traveled side, as we had apparently missed a turn or two. 
And yet, on another ride, we knew we were close to the finish line because of the traffic and noise, but we couldn't find the roads that led us to it. We couldn't find any markings. While on each of the road rides, my friend and I did get back to the course and finish each of the races, we learned several lessons, each of which are transferable to our lives. If we reach our intended destination, we must pay attention to the big and small course markings. These markings in life are not spray-painted arrows and signs, but instead they are advancements, covenants, and companionship of the Spirit. We will move with the push and pull of the world away from the path that leads to a return to our Father in Heaven if we are not committed to our course and our purpose. We must be committed, and we must do all that we can to stay the course. We must look to the prophets to learn how to read the course's legend to ensure that we stay firmly planted on the straight and narrow, holding on to the iron rod with both hands. I don't know exactly when my friends and I went off course on these three occasions, but I can clearly remember when we realized it. Our surroundings weren't familiar or expected. We didn't have the biking companions we'd had before, and when we looked for course markings, we could not find them. There are too many things that could have distracted us and allowed us to get off course, even when we were within blocks of the finish line. What distracted us is far less important than how it happened. It happened so subtly that we didn't notice until we'd been off course, not right next to it or parallel to it, but off. So it is with the straight and narrow path. At one point in our lives, we have two feet firmly planted on it. With a change of roommates or friends, a new girl or boyfriend, a new city, schedule, or even jobs, we can slowly start moving to its edge. Until we realize that we are now doing things we'd never imagined doing. We haven't prayed for days or weeks. We pass on spiritual things. Our scriptures are covered in layers of dust or so many other things that indicate we haven't been feeding our testimony the nourishment it needs. Most of the time we cannot pinpoint what changed in our lives, but we know our testimony isn't as firm as it once was. Maybe we can't even remember why we keep the commandments. But there are many things that we can do to ensure that we stay on course, on the straight and narrow path. Unlike my road-riding friends and I have done, we can keep a lookout for the course markings or warning signs. The prophets and the scriptures give us significant counsel on how to stay on course and live our lives with the right purpose. Elder Quinton L. Cook taught that immersion in the scriptures is essential for spiritual nourishment. We need to make sure that we are constantly feeding ourselves spiritually from the scriptures. Do you immerse yourself in the scriptures? Alma and Mother Teresa remind us of the power of small acts in our lives such as prayer, scripture study, and charity. She said, Be faithful in small things because it is in them that your strength lies. And Alma taught us that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small means in many instances doth confound the wise, and by very small means the Lord doth confound the wise and bringeth about the salvation of many souls. There are no small things, because combined they are our strength, and they will bring about our salvation. There are a few other seemingly small things that will have a great impact on our ability to stay true to our purpose. One of these seemingly small things is our friends. Who do we choose to associate with? Who do we choose to date, marry, seek advice from, and counsel with? Who do we play and study with? President Thomas S. Monson said, Choose your friends with caution. We must cautiously choose who we allow to have such a great impact on our lives. We do many small things with friends.
Brother Scott Robley on the Mormon Channel said that true friends treat you like a campsite. They leave you better than they found you. We all have companions in our time on earth. They may be siblings, friends, spouses, missionary companions, and even strangers who observe us or briefly interact with us. Are you the true friend you should be to those you're with, and are they the friend they should be for you? Do your friends make it easier for you to live the gospel or not? Do they help you draw closer to the Spirit, even in small degrees? Do they leave you better than they found you, and you them? To stay on course, we will not have the strength to keep our covenants or the commandments if we do not bolster and feed our faith. Maintaining our testimony and staying on course will require righteousness and regular repentance. It will require great faith. We must be spiritually strong. We must live worthy of the Holy Ghost's companionship. Elder Todd D. Christofferson said, Faith comes by the witness of the Holy Spirit to our souls, spirit to spirit, as we hear or read the word of God, and faith matures as we continue to feast upon the word. We must delve into the scriptures to know what to do in times of trial, how to help others, and how to answer our questions. The answers are in them. We learn about the Master Teacher and His ways in the scriptures. By studying the scriptures, we develop our faith, learn about the Savior, His teachings, the commandments, our Father, and the plan of salvation. Studying the scriptures will keep us on course. President Thomas S. Monson has given us exceptional counsel for how to stay on course. He said, Obey the laws of God. They are given to us by a loving Heavenly Father. When they are obeyed, our lives will be more fulfilling, less complicated. Our challenges and problems will be easier to bear. We will receive the Lord's promised blessings. Make every decision you contemplate pass this test. What does it do to me? What does it do for me? And let your code of conduct emphasize not what will others think, but rather, what will I think of myself? Be influenced by that still, small voice. Open your hearts, even your very souls, to the sound of that special voice which testifies of truth. We need to open our hearts to that special voice, as President Monson said. The Holy Ghost is the only companion of constancy. All of the others will leave us, even if only temporarily to run errands, go to class, or go to work for the day. But the Holy Ghost will be a constant presence in our lives if we will live worthy of it. We control the level of influence He has in our lives. Do we listen to or ignore Him? Do we act or relax? Do we provide an environment that will allow the Holy Ghost to remain with us? Do we remove the worldly habits and customs and traditions from our lives? As the hymn by Penelope Moody Allen says, Let the Holy Spirit guide. Let Him teach us what is true. He will testify of Christ, light our minds with Heaven's view. Let the Holy Spirit guard. Let His whisper govern choice. He will lead us safely home if we listen to His voice. Let the Spirit heal our hearts through His quiet, gentle power. May we purify our lives to receive Him hour by hour. While the challenges of each day do not fade with each sunset, I know that if we can do as the prophets have counseled us, that we will be able to continue moving forward on the straight and narrow path. I also know that this path will lead us to eternal life, a life worth every amount of effort required. 
If we will firmly establish the purpose of our life and stay the course that leads to it, we will live in the house He has prepared for us among the mansions of our Father. Let Heavenly Father guide and direct us. Live your life with purpose. I know the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. I know that He is our Savior. I know Thomas S. Monson is a prophet of God. And I know our Father in Heaven loves us and leads us through the Holy Ghost. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Purpose in Life's Journey, with thoughts from Julianne H. Gross, Sharon G. Samuelson, and Janie Penfield. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.